Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I just want to start off by saying I have so much to say today that you might not be able to speak. I'm looking forward to every word, Hollister. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> just as long as they're not directed at me. Okay. Okay. Well, I I spent, um, okay, eight hours watching the OJ series Made in America. Wow. The longest movie ever nominated for an Oscar. Is that true? Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's by far and away the best OJ movie out to date, even though that one that was a series for television won a million a million awards. I never thought it was that great, but um, but it's really really good. But it's so much more than about OJ. You know, now during the OJ trial, I actually had started the Women's Resource Center in New York, so I was working with a couple of the networks on some background information around domestic violence. So I was, I was pretty active in it, I would say, and. I just have a better understanding of it now. Maybe distance helps too, but it's a long watch. I mean, for sure you don't want to watch it. This is not like watching, you know, the episodes of um, the Gilmore Girls, you know. Uh, but it was really well worth it and really, really well done. And to take that much information and layer it into seven and a half hours, I don't know how many hours they spent editing it. And I just want to say well done. Kudos to everybody for sure. So you think it deserved its Oscar for Best Documentary? I do. Yeah, more than deserves it. I, I think it could be an entire class. I think, again, so much of, I think, our history could be taught with some of these movies that are being done. And certainly, to understand the racial divide in this country, it would be a really good film for high schoolers to see, I would say. And I can see how that case captivated all of America then and now because of the intersection of race and sex and spousal abuse, celebrity status. Absolutely. Okay, and then the other thing is, Okay, I don't want to talk about it yet because only the first episodes happened. But The Americans is back and started this week on FX. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. It's way too early. But I would suggest that you watch the last episode from last season before you start watching this season because there's so much time between The Americans that it just doesn't make sense to, to... uh, to not go over that last episode one more time. I had forgotten a bunch of things, so I sort of went back and watched it afterward. It was very helpful. Are they in Russia yet? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, but moving along, we are going to the River Run Film Festival the first week of April. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I know, and thanks for the invite. We try to do three or four film festivals a year, and we chose this one last year. We just missed it last year, and now we're excited because we sort of committed to this year's festival last year. And I'm really glad we did because the sea of movies coming out is unbelievable. They are screening more than 150 films. And kudos to their programmers because the diversity of programming is just tremendous. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Now, just so all of you out there know, and I'm sure no one will be surprised to hear this, but I don't pick the movies that we see because <laughs> I have the attention span of a flea. And so, you know, to go through, I assure you that O'Toole, you read every single movie, tell the truth, did you? And watch the trailers. I couldn't help myself. The selection is that good. Okay, I'm watching OJ and she's prepping <laughs> for our trip to River Run. And so the stuff you pick, though, I can't wait. It really looks great. So, and a big 
big thanks to Diane Barrett, who is the one who first clued us into this, and she's a listener and a a fan of Screen Thoughts. So big thanks to her. We look forward to meeting her when we're down there. Yes, and so it starts March 30th, and it runs for 11 days. Yeah. So if anyone's in the Winston-Salem area, let us know. And if you don't hear from us again, it's because we drove each other crazy in that 11. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. And then the other thing is, before we get to, you know, what we're going to be talking about, I watched the episode on girls. Now, girls is very controversial. A lot of people, it's just too tough for them to take. And I know you're not a big fan of girls. It's not that it's tough per se. It's just that I think it's exhibitionism masquerading as feminism. Right. And I, I don't find it that way. I think it's fabulous. But I saw... The American Bitch episode, which is the third episode in this, this the final season of, um, of Girls. And basically, it is, first of all, it's only Lena Dunham in it, and it has nothing to do with the plot line of the show. So you could watch just that one episode if the rest of it's been disturbing to you. And you would be okay. You wouldn't. You don't need the backstory of anything around it. Now, would I be okay, or would that be a hundred percent of Lena Dunham being exhibitionistic if no one else is allowed in the episode? Uh, you would be okay. But I think the messaging. Yeah. It's Anna has this tense meeting with this guy Chuck Palmer, who's an author that she used to admire a lot, and she wrote a piece after some disturbing allegations swirled around him, and so he actually called her after reading her piece and asked her to come and speak with him. But it the reason it's such an important episode, I think, for women to watch is because it's not really, I don't think it's about sexual power, but it's about power between those in a power position versus those who are not. And it's such a great juxtaposition of discussing both sides of the coin. And it's not really just about men at all. It's um, it's it, it stands alone. So I think it's the best episode that I've seen on any series television since the West Wings episode called The Supremes, which is my favorite episode where two Supreme Court nominations take place in one episode. And I highly recommend it. So even if you're not a girls fan, I, I and you and you're a, you're somebody who subscribes to HBO, go watch the third episode, and it's called um, American Bitch. Are you going to be watching, O'Toole? (laughs) I feel like I gave Lena Dunham a shot. I've been giving her a shot ever since her film Tiny Furniture. You know, but is this our lead into our list of six, Hollister? Well, it is because our list of six this week is about, I told you I had a lot of things to talk about. Are you trying to get me back on track? (laughs) Well, I'm wondering if Lena Dunham's ever going to change the name of her show from Girls to Women. Uh, Just curious. You know, it doesn't bother me a bit. But anyway... Our list of six this week is sort of surrounding Women's History Month, and it talks about films that really sort of uh, worked on feminist issues in America. So um, that's our list of six. Do you want to kick it off? Okay. My first pick is Ken Burns' documentary, Not for Ourselves Alone, the story of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. I came across this one day, and I was mesmerized by the history. And as Ken Burns put it, the suffragette struggle here in the U.S. was the longest civil rights struggle in U.S. history. They fought for over 100 years to win the right to vote. And Hollister, this was just a moment that I really remembered in the documentary. Poor Susan B. Anthony fought 
her entire life. You know, at 60 years she'd been fighting and she was celebrating a big birthday and the president of the United States sent her a birthday card. And she said, Mr. President, forget the card. Just give me my amendment. Um, When she died, it still hadn't passed. It took another 14 years before we got the 19th Amendment. He did a great job telling the story. I've not seen that. Where where can it be seen? I'm sure others haven't either. I checked it out of the library. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll check it out and see (laughs) if we... It's a great U.S. institution. Ben Franklin would be so happy if you went to one of those. I know. You've been Uh telling me that for years. I don't know why I don't listen to you. And it's free. Okay. So in total keeping with the two personalities of O'Toole and Hollister, I'm going to start with G.I. Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hollister, you crack me up. I'm not trying to crack you up. Demi Moore's portrayal... (laughs) of a woman trying to become a Navy SEAL in G.I. Jane, which took place 20 years ago, um, I thought was groundbreaking. I thought it showed the juxtaposition of the issues around women in the military in a really brilliant way. And as a woman who saw it then when people were arguing about this topic all the time, and at that point in time, women really didn't have anywhere near... When this movie came out, women had nowhere near the rights they do now in the military. And G.I. Jane was a groundbreaker. And also Demi Moore, you know, God bless her, whether you like her or not, or you think she's a good actor or you don't, that woman put it together to become physically strong enough to be able to compete with all the men in that movie. She did all her own stunts, and you go, girl. So I'm sticking with G.I. Jane. Did it make you want to do any push-ups? Not a one. <laughs> But it you made me feel hair. like there are women who should be able to do them if they want to become that person. Yeah. So. And that's what it's all it about. It is. It is. Okay. What do you have? Well, passing the baton back to me, you might laugh even harder, but I'm going with Auntie Mame starring Rosalind oh Russell. Oh, my God. I know. 1958. I think not only is it one of the greatest parts ever written for a woman, it's one of the greatest parts, period, based on the book by Patrick Dennis. And this is just an interesting bit of trivia. The screenplay was written by the great Betty Comden and Adolph Green. Mm. They collaborated on many things together, including Singing in the Rain, but they also wrote the song New York, New York together. Oh, they did? I think I just love their body of work. Uh-huh. Huh. So, Auntie Mame, but I, I'm sorry, why is Auntie Mame important to women? Well, not only is it one of the greatest female roles ever. And it's a daunting role to play. Life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death now. Come on, Agnes, live! Live! Bette Midler has never done it on Broadway. People were talking about parts she's never played and she said that one just scared her to death because it's so much dialogue. So a very meaty role for one actor to carry. But I also love it because I think it is the truest, happiest portrayal ever of a single person. They never felt the need to end the movie by marrying her off again. Well, it's so funny that you should you should speak to that when my next one is Mona Lisa's Smile. Oh. Yeah, with Julia Roberts, who also was pressured to not be a single person anymore, but stands tall to continue to be a, a single woman. But first of all, it has a cast. I mean, Kirsten Dunst, Julia Stiles, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jennifer Goodwin, uh, Juliet Stevenson, Marsha Gay Harden, you know, you you know, you couldn't put a group stronger together about it. But for me, the reason Mona Lisa's smile was so important was it gave me a new understanding of my mother's generation. My mother was, oh. yeah, my mother was in college the year that it takes place. The film takes place in the late '40s, and I never really got it that the 
You know, I, I mean, I didn't understand why my mother quit college to marry my father, who, great guy that he was, not necessarily somebody you should leave your college education to marry, let's put it that way. And to think you became a marketing guru, Hollister. <laughs> I don't get it. What's your connection there? <laughs> well, that was the pitch for your father. <laughs> uh, no, that was the pitch for my mother. Okay, yeah, you okay. missed the pitch, girlfriend. Um, yeah, it made me have a really, really strong understanding of the generation that went before me that I really didn't respect or understand as as female people. And once I saw it, um, I think it lightened my load a little bit. You know, I just think it's a really, really great movie for... Um, for people to watch to understand that generation before us of women that came. Wow, and that was a pretty educated group. It was. It's true. It's true. They were. You know, well, they, the fact that they no, were they were really the not education. well educated. They didn't go to class. They, you know, according to this movie, they were there to meet. You know, Ivy League guys. That was the point. And your you great your greatest graduation diploma was MRS and. I just thought it was really well done, really well done. And I will tell you that I read that all during um, the filming, of course, all these young women, you know, Kirsten, Julia Stiles, Maggie Gyllenhaal, all these people were in awe of the fact that here they were with the great Julia Roberts. And she is a big knitter on set. She knits a lot. And she taught. I did not. Yeah, know she taught everybody on set to knit. So apparently, these women, as they're doing this feminist movie, in in between takes, are sitting there knitting. They all started knitting with her. Now, was it filmed on Wellesley's campus, or it was just supposed to take place? There? I have no idea where it was filmed. But there was knitting. There was knitting. Yes. Okay. And what's your last one? Okay, I'm going to go with a film that had a completely female cast. The women. And I mean huh. the original yeah. from 1939, not the 2008 remake, which Mick Jagger produced, and parts of which were actually filmed in my gym in Boston. But it was based on the Claire Booth Luce play, which predated it, obviously. So it was a pretty groundbreaking concept at the time that every character was female. So Hollister, the original The Women, starred... Rosalind Russell, again, from Auntie Mame, a whole slew of stars, Norma Shearer, but also Joan Crawford and Hedda Hopper, both from your new favorite show, The Feud. Yeah, there you go. And it's just one of those things that I think is so interesting that, again, this was a movie from the 30s when the first Academy Awards took place in 1929. They created the best actor category out of generosity towards men because they thought if they didn't have a special category just for the men, they might not make it on the board. Hmm, that's interesting. That's how much more yeah. power women had back then. Right. Well, um, back then or now. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I read a statistic about women in film the other day, and I just I don't want to put it out there. It's so bad. So. Uh, yeah, so power. We've got a power to the women. It has to be our next our next phrase around this. But my last one is not going to surprise you, although I'm sure you didn't think I would come up with this one. Just don't say pretty woman. <laughs> no, although I could have. <laughs> okay, good. But, okay, few. Okay. Then whatever you're you about to judge say me. is okay I think, by I think me. she was a feminist. I do pretty woman. But I'm going to go with Silence of the Lambs. I don't question it. I get it. You see a lot, Doctor. But are you strong enough to point that? high-powered perception at yourself what about it why don't you why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see maybe you're afraid to 
Now, there's the one part where she says to him, where he, in order to make the sheriff, the local sheriff and all the local guys go along with him, he sort of puts her, quote, in her female place of, look, we don't want to have this conversation around her because she's a woman. And and then when they're in the car, she gently but firmly says to him, look, they look to you how to behave and the way you behave that way, you know, matters. And you're going to have to teach them how to treat us differently. And that moment in the film was one of the pivotal moments where I was so proud of her for gently standing up, not having a fit in the moment, which is what I would have done, and making her point. And he points out afterward, he said, point well taken. You know, I don't think he'd ever do that again. So it had many moments in this film where the respect for her and her um, her approach to how she addressed things was really strong. So I'm going to go with Silence of the Lambs. Now, I'm sure you saw on our social media, but one of our listeners, Lalu, she brought up a great point about how exactly do they decide which actors fall into the best supporting categories? Because if you look at you know, this year's winners and past year's winners, some of those parts really do seem like main roles. They don't seem like supporting roles. The fact that um, that the studios get to decide where they're going to place these mm-hmm. people, that's the mistake. I mean, there should be a committee on them. Uh, you know, you put in somebody and they decide. Well, it's, it's very interesting that there is no specific rule about what tips it over right. into a main role category. But this is one of the rare cases where it went the other way. Anthony Hopkins, when he won for Best Actor, in Silence of the Lambs. He had less than 15 minutes screen time in the whole movie. I know, but it seemed like forever. (laughs) A very memorable 15 minutes. Yes, it was. Uh, So that wraps that up for us. We'd love to hear from you guys. You know, give us a shout out. And we're looking forward to the day when Women's History Month is no longer just a month. All right, I'm going to bring up yet again where, you know, O'Toole decides we're going to go see Get Out And I, of course, dutifully run to the movies to see Get Out. And when I'm... There is another perspective on this story. Excuse me. And when I'm leaving, Mm -hmm. I text O'Toole and say, did you see it yet? And she said, no, not yet. And I said, well, don't bother because you do not belong in that movie. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Hollister. You're welcome. It's like getting the governor's pardon. Are you ready for this? Now, I'm really glad I went, but I would never have chosen that movie. I would never have seen it if you hadn't made me. And yet again, you pick some movie for probably some Rotten Tomatoes rating or something. Um, I don't. I can't even imagine where you got it. But really what it's about, it's really Stepford Wives, but around people of color, which made me realize that the Stepford Wives was all about sexism, which I never got when I watched it. Oh, dear. I know. So and you founded the women's resource center. I know, I know, Mm -hmm. I know, I know, I know, I know. But it really helped me to understand better how very awful the Stepford Wives was. And basically, Jordan Peele, who wrote it, and he's also a a secondary actor in it. He comes from a mixed marriage where one of his parents was white and one of them were black. And he basically said that um, the movie reflects real fears and issues that he had to deal with growing up. I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families and taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya um, is really good on the screen. He's a master of the moment. He never rushes that moment, but he's really, really good at it. But Allison Williams, here's what I decided. It's not that she's a bad actor. She's a bland actor. You know, she's like eating, you know, broiled 
you know, white meat chicken and um, baked potato with no butter, you know. So there's you can't say that she she's not realistic or she doesn't act it well, but I feel the same way about her in girls. As a vegetarian, I'm, I'm still recovering from those three food choices. Really? Okay. 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 Like, wow. Okay. okay. All right. Well, you know what? I don't want to talk about that, but those are the choices that I made. But she's not a bad actor. She's just, she's just a bland one. She's just not... There's nothing that lights up the screen with her, even though she's very attractive. And guess who else is in it? Brought back from the West Wing. Your Bradley Whitford, I know, Mr. Josh but Bradley, Lyman. are you getting no offers? So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> Seriously, like, this is what, I mean, he plays a neurologist, but not so much. And um, I just, you know, Bradley, you should be in, definitely you should be in amazing shows, but you, you know, never are you going to ever find another part like that, I guess. But what about Catherine Keener? smoke in front of my daughter i'm gonna quit she'd take care of that for you how hypnosis i've always liked her did you ever see her in the movie living in oblivion no it's a movie about making an independent movie and there is a great scene where she's doing the scene the actor who's in the scene with her just keeps flubbing her line so they have to keep redoing take after take after take and in this scene Catherine Keener is supposed to cry on cue poor Catherine Keener has to do it well she's very good yeah she, she's very good after the next. Yeah. she's a very she good actor yeah. check out Living in Oblivion yeah, if you and, really want to see what she can um, pull and it's off. not shot that well it's just not you know a lot of a lot of the shots take place inside a home and you gotta be really know what you're doing to get that right and it just didn't quite didn't quite play for me so I don't highly recommend seeing it but at the same time if you've got some spare time and you're trying to please O'Toole you can run over there and see it also (laughs) well the thing that I found interesting is when you try to marry two genres that normally aren't seen together so when I first read the premise it sounded like another remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner that then morphs into a horror film. And you know horror films are not my genre, but I do find this fascinating that they are the most profitable genres. I think it did very all. well, actually, already it's in the box. It's doing I mean, very well. And, you know, people say, even if you make a B movie, make a B horror movie, because the shelf life is longer than well, any other genre. So, all right, now, but then I told you that we needed to see I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which just came out on Netflix. Starring the great Melanie Linsky. Yes, and is, I mean, by the way, did you know she's been in 70 movies and television shows? Yes, and it's funny because I have the feeling the rest of our podcast is going to be a Mark Duplass Melanie Linsky week. We saw both of them in back-to-back indies at the Provincetown International Film Festival a couple of years ago. Remember, hmm. we saw her in Hello, I Must Be Going, and we saw him in Your Sister's Sister with Emily Blunt right. and Rosemary right, DeWitt. Right, right. Well, she, I mean, she's amazing, but you just, you just don't think of her in 70 movies. I mean, she, you know, but the one that's most interesting is, did you ever see Heavenly Creatures in 94? I have not yet seen it. It's only been I'm 23 sure years, but yeah. I'm going to get to well, it. Well, she... Is with, she, by the way, it's an Oscar winning performance, even though she was never nominated. I think it was just she wasn't known. And back then you had to be really beautiful and skinny to get nominated. But um, but she's with Kate Winslet in it. And it did it did get an Oscar uh, nomination for the for the script. 
but it's really brilliant. And she, it's her first movie she ever did. And it's one of the great performances, you know. It really deserves a lot more kudos than it got, so. As does Melanie Linsky on the whole. I think she's a very talented actor. But I have to give a major warning. I am afraid of two things. One is flying, so I interview the pilots when I get on the plane to make sure they haven't been drinking. (laughs) And the second thing I'm afraid of, terrified of, are snakes. And... Did that bother you? If you have a terrible fear of snakes, I would I can't sleep. I can't put my hand over the side of my bed because I'm sure there's a snake down there. I mean, it was awful. It was an awful moment. You know, Hoster, this was kind of a genre bendy movie as well, because as it started out, I thought, oh, I, I get why Hollister wanted to watch this because there's a lot of humor in it in that indie quirky kind of way that oh Melanie God, Linsky brilliant, pulls off brilliant, brilliant. Yes. But the snake didn't even bother me as much as it should have oh, because I was still recovering from the broken finger, the Christmas special bus, the shooting off of the hand, the projectile vomit. There was a lot of violence and gore in this movie, but it's still done in kind of a quirky way. So, Well, by the way, only she could pull something like that off where it doesn't become totally creepy. I'm not letting you shoot anyone. Anyone. Anyone else. And here's what I want to compare it to. The Accountant. I did not think that Ben Affleck was good in The Accountant. And when you watch her in this, that's what he was supposed to be in The Accountant, wasn't That's a great analogy, Hollister. Thank it's you. It's really, really good. Yeah. You know, she can bring humor, Very, you know, very Lena Dunhamish in her in the way she walks, the way she talks, the way she presents herself in this film. Very Lena Dunham. Well, I would not compare her to her, but she can really pull off every... Line. Oh so my gosh, she's brilliant. Line is authentic. Her facial expressions are great. She really inhabits her characters. I mean, she makes dialogue just jump off the page. When they she go does. to reclaim her stolen computer, and you know they become these vigilante like characters from well, the more sort of buffoonish timid. vigilantes. Um, yeah, and yet, exactly. You know, they had had such timid lives before, and you know she gets the computer back, and you think, okay, now she's going to march out triumphantly, and then she goes, actually, I need the power cord. <laughs> I mean, she can pull off these, uh, the yep. follow-up to the jokes so well. Vigilante action is a good way to get your wig knocked off. You have beautiful eyes, okay? But you have to have the words, and it was written by Malcolm Blair, and I got to tell you, I think he's a genius. I think that is one of the great scripts. It really is really, really you know, amazing. This was his directorial debut, and he had a bit part in the movie, and I love it when these actors really know the craft. Wait, what was his bit part? He was the man in the bar. What man in the bar? See, that's how bit of a part it was. <laughs> what bar? Remember when she goes to the bar and she's reading that book and the man next to her is like, I read that book. And, and then, of course, he gives away the oh, ending. Oh, right, 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 but right. But right. Wood was in this from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that means both Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood have worked with Peter Jackson. The way people treat each other makes me so furious. Kevin, stop it. She does such a good American accent you would never know she's from New Zealand. And it's funny because another show I've never watched, even though it had the highest ratings in America, Two and a Half Men, where she played Charlie Sheen's delightfully deranged stalker. Right. And apparently she was just talking on set and Charlie Sheen turned around and he said, um, what's this um, voice? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she said, I'm just talking. And he said, 
Ah, uh-huh. is that like some kind of actor thing? <laughs> he totally didn't even know she was from New Zealand. Well, you know, let's not talk about what he was doing. <laughs> Where it got easier for me in my career is when I realized there are a lot of very beautiful, very thin women who are also doing what I'm doing, and I can kill myself, literally, kind of, to try to become that. Or I can just say, okay, so here's the thing that I'm bringing to the table is that I'm myself and nobody else is like me. So what if I just concentrate on being the best version of myself that I can be, and so that then when I come to an audition or I come to a meeting, you maybe you want me, maybe you don't, but at least I know that I'm authentic and I know that what I'm bringing is something that's coming from my heart and if people respond to that then I'm going to go you know do work that I'm really proud of. I feel so grateful for where I'm at I'm so grateful that I have consistent work Um, but at the same time it's still a struggle you know a lot of the time it's a struggle to get the little movies made that I really want to do because I'm not a famous person so to have someone put money into a movie that I'm a part of is a, is a very big deal and I'm always so grateful. Okay but Elijah Wood is never ever going to get away from Lord of the Rings. I just I kept looking at his hands. Is there a ring on that hand? You know like <laughs> put a ring on it. I, You know he can't get out of that role. It was just too many movies too early in his career and when I see him that's all I can see. He went on Jimmy Fallon to talk about I don't feel at home in this world anymore and they were laughing at the time but I think the title's brilliant, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to see it. It's a great so, title. Not that I could recall the title, but it was filled with a lot of quirky characters. When they go to that very wealthy home, and the woman is at home who offers them a coffee with cashew milk and does the snort laugh, I thought, what a wonderful character to play. Your son broke into my house. <laughs> It was just brilliant, but I thought you were going to hate this movie. I, I did question you more than once while watching it. I wonder what the draw was for Hollister. But I, I'll watch Melanie Linsky in anything. I think she's that yeah, good. Yeah, she is very, very good. Very good. Okay, and then we're back to I've been doing really smart choices over the last few weeks. And then you send me to Table 19. I believe Table 19 was your pick on the list of six. Those movies you were most looking forward to Excuse in 2017. Excuse me, and if anybody wants to go back, mm-hmm. they can also hear you say, oh, that was on my list too. No, you said don't judge me. And I said, I'm not judging you. I saw the trailer and I thought it looked really fun. Today will not suck. Hi. Hello, my God. I am Renzo. I've achieved puberty and I'm in a rock band. I'm Walter and I've also reached puberty. I'm Francie Milner's first nanny. I can smell the toilets from here. That's how well we know the bride and groom. By the way, I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's all very male-based, Rotten Tomatoes. Meryl would be very happy with you. But I've never seen a rating of 20% before. The script is the problem because the plot lines could have been great. The plot lines for each of those characters were fabulous. He had great, great stuff to work with, and he never pulled it out. It's the script. And the actors were great. I loved the premise. And guess who got the story by credit? I don't know. Mark Duplass. Oh, huh. Yes. Okay. And he and his brother, Jay Duplass, are also the creators of the HBO show Togetherness, in which Mark Duplass stars with Melanie Linsky. So I think I'm going to have to check out that show. Amanda Peet is in it as well. I want to have fun with you. I can't. You can't? Just fake it. Do you see the smile? I'm dead inside. In Table 19, Anna Kendrick 
Yeah, you forget what a great actor she is. Even though she had no script to work with and no dialogue that was really, you know, when she's speaking or on the screen, you feel like you're in a decent movie. She's and very likable. She really yeah. is. I was hoping yeah, she was really, going to really sing there for a moment when the band is playing at the wedding. I'm Eloise. I got dumped by Francie's brother, the uh, best man back there at table one. Uh, no kidding. This is a great table. It's a great one. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. No, it isn't. Yeah, well, there's some good music in it. And there's a dance scene where she's dancing with this guy that she thinks is a guest at the, at the um, wedding, but he's not. And I think it's one of the sexiest dance scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> it was lovely dancing with you. How did I not just get kissed? It happens more often than you think. But this dance scene, one of the reasons it was sexy is it was taunting somebody who had hurt her. And, you know, she just gets into, it's just the seduction of it sort of builds, builds, builds. And it, you know, it's just really a great scene. And certainly, I'm not sure it's worth going to the movie for that scene. But the movie was pretty full. I had a lot of people in my screening. What about you? I went to an earlier screening, so there weren't that many. And I thought, okay, I wouldn't recommend paying full fare for the film, but if it were on an airplane, I would certainly watch it. The cast, I mean, we should really give some more shout-outs. Lisa Kudrow and Craig Robinson play a married couple at this table 19. Stephen Merchant and Craig Robinson are both from The Office. And did you recognize... Oh, Sowers from. I knew I'd seen yes, it. Yes, now yep. I remember. I yep. loved the actor who played Resno. I thought that was a great character. And did you recognize yep. the voice of his mother? Of his mother? Who you only I did. hear on the phone? I, I yes, did. Yes, the great Margot Martindale, who yep. we've talked about before, Anna Kendrick has said was her mentor. And of course, they were together yeah. in the film The Hollers. June Squibb played the nanny. I thought she did a great job. She was nominated for an Oscar for the film Nebraska. And her voice reminded me so much of Ellen Burstyn's. What if you came here for a different reason today? What if you went away with something better? Oh my God, I was going to say, same time next year. For a while, I kept looking at her thinking, you didn't age well. You know, (laughs) like... I thought it was Ellen Burstyn. I absolutely thought it was. And then when I looked it up when I got home, I was like, oh, it's not. But really, really, really well. Look, there was great acting. They didn't have the script. And the plot lines were fabulous. They could have been amazingly well done. I need to go back and rewrite that for them. You You think they'll want to do it again? A remake. Because it was actually a fresh take on a wedding. Like, I thought the strongest parts of the film were when the table fled. You are Romeo and Juliet, and we all wish you the same happy ending. You know, I was thinking about this, the group bonding that happened at this table of misfits, that always works for me. Did you ever see the movie The Day Trippers? I don't think so. Another great cast, Stanley Tucci, Hope Davis, Parker Posey, Liv Schreiber, Campbell Scott, Ann Mara, but they all kind of bond together, and they're driving around with Hope Davis, trying to figure out what's wrong with her marriage. And at its best moments, Table 19 reminded me of that, where you've got a table bonding together trying to fix a situation. Do you ever have that kind of day where the things that come so easily to everyone else just seem so elusive? (gasps) No. Yeah, me neither. When Anna Kendrick 
when she rattled off in that rapid fire dialogue, who was at all the other 18 tables because she's the ex. It was too fast. They should have slowed oh, it. I yeah, again, it, it was a little I too. I loved it. I know, but you couldn't keep up. But so for me, you, it needed to be a second or two I longer. I loved it because it showed how close she was to the woman getting married. And it was a great visual. I thought the movie started visually very strong. When she's burning the invite, I thought it was a funny scene. Yeah, it took too long. That scene was too long. I didn't it was. see that. That's so funny. What I thought was just right, you thought was too fast. And what I thought was just right, you thought was too slow. I don't think it's going to, you know, go down in the, uh, the history books with some of the great, uh, great movies, you know, Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. It's just not going to make it. But that's certainly right. what, yeah. yeah, and that's what it was touted to be. One thing that I did like, Again, yes, it's it's not going to be nominated for any Oscars, but there were moments where you saw this had potential. For example, when they're wrapping it up and you realize every character has done the thing they swore they would never do. Yeah. I think that's a neat twist on what is a pretty tired genre. But overall, there were too many pratfalls, too many references to detectives. But every now and then they got off a good line, the feeling of lingering nostalgia where once there was joy. I mean, you saw that there there was definitely potential behind the no, film. No, I mean, the guy, you know, clearly was hired because he could do it. He just didn't do it. So, mm-hmm. all right, then. You know, Hollister, I just wanted to mention one other movie that I saw, again, starring Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. There were only three actors, the third one being Ted Danson. It's like a perfect retreat. Just the two of you. I've sent a lot of couples there, and they've all come back renewed. It was actually filmed in his house. And when you hear a voice on the phone in this movie, it's Ted Danson's wife, Oscar winner, Mary Steenbergen. Oh, I didn't know he was married to uh-huh. her. And it's called I like her. The One I Love. It came out in 2014. And like the two indies that we saw with Mark Duplass and Melanie Linsky. I realize that that's my kind of movie. It's usually the inexpensive movies to make. Limited locations, limited number of actors, and it's just based on a strong premise, strong acting, strong dialogue. Not unlike a play. Whoa, fascinating. Tell me. And it's like a genre-bendy thing as well, because it's almost sci-fi-ish, where they realize every time one of them steps inside the house they're experiencing a different version of their spouse. Is it another dimension when you go through the door? You want to go back. This is something that we've been talking about, creating a new relationship. I imagine like horseback riding with a little satchel of wine, you know? Not some weird version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I thought it was interesting. If you're looking for something to watch online, you know, the one I love. It's so weird. It's really odd. I'm there. I'm there with you, sister. Okay. Okay, so we had a busy week, and there's some good stuff out, don't you think? I do, and now I think I might have to go figure out a way to get on HBO and watch Togetherness. Okay, well, we have an HBO account. You just have to log in. (laughs) So I'm not really... You're the brains behind the operation. I know, clearly. Uh Okay. Over and out.